a number of years ago, involved in a congregation during a worship service, some special music was used, and it was a very gifted individual with a profound bass profundo voice who took a simple hymn and presented it to the congregation that day. And it caused me to recognize a hymn that is often thought of as a children's hymn has great meaning and significance to the people of God. Jesus loves me. This I know. Yes, Jesus loves me. What a profound truth. And probably something that really says it all when it comes to our relationship with God. Today, be it for children or for adults, it's pretty hard to sing the song in the way it was written back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Today we would sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, because I really believe it to be so. Jesus loves me, this I know, for I'm sincerely convinced this is so. What I think we fail to recognize is the fact that for most individuals who profess to be Christians, the idea of having the authority in God's word as the absolute truth is something foreign to many individuals who profess to be Christians. And something else that we also probably fail to appreciate and realize, that just because we talk about Jesus loves me, this I know, are we sure we're talking about the right Jesus? See, we are so accustomed to hearing people talk about faith and grace, the gospel and Jesus, and somehow we think we're all talking about the same one. And the reality is, it doesn't matter at all whether Jesus loves you and this is what you know if the Jesus who loves you is not the Jesus of the Bible. Could there be a different Jesus? Why, even the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the Corinthians, said to them, someone comes to you and preaches to you a different Jesus that we did not preach to you, and you accept it beautifully. And to that group, he also said, you better examine yourself and see whether or not you're in the faith. Hard things to deal with. But I hope we can appreciate we live in a culture where there's a lot of Jesus talk a lot of ideas about what it means to be a Christian and yet a failure to appreciate that the Jesus of the Bible in many ways is not the Jesus of popular Christian thinking. I didn't say of other religions, of popular Christian 
thinking. A work done by James Montgomery Boyce a number of years ago called Whatever Happened to the Gospel of Grace? And I'm using this because our topic today is from a statement that the Apostle Paul made about himself where he said, if you want to know the real essence of the ministry that God has given to me, it is to solemnly testify of the gospel of the grace of God. And here Boyce says the following in part of his introduction. We don't like to admit it. But anyone who honestly evaluates the church's life and outlook will understand that these are not good days for evangelicalism. Yes, we have achieved success, but in a worldly sort of way. Big numbers, big budgets, and big outreaches. Yet church attendance is actually down. And allegedly... Born-again believers do not differ significantly, and by the way, born-again believers is in quotes, do not differ significantly in their worldview from their neighbors. We are living a fool's paradise. The evangelical church needs to recover its rich spiritual heritage by repenting of its rampant worldliness and rediscovering the gospel of grace that meant so much to Protestant reformers. We need a modern reformation to recover the gospel of grace. When Paul wrote, or excuse me, spoke to the elders In Ephesus, calling them to himself, Luke records for us the essence of his message. And Paul recounted to them in his farewell address the ministry that he had been given by the Lord Jesus Christ that he sought to faithfully fulfill as he proclaimed Christ in his generation. And what is so relevant and so important for us is that Paul made it clear in other occasions that not only is his teaching, but also his method of doing so a valid example and model for God's people to follow. He said it like this. The things that you have heard and seen in me, Not just heard by me, but watched and seen how I've done it. Do, practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And what was true of the Apostle Paul as a unique calling to present and proclaim Christ in areas where Christ had not been heard of before was to set a model of what would be the presentation of the grace of God and the gospel of God's grace for God's people to follow in future generations. Notice what he says in Acts chapter 20. He says in verse 18, when those elders came to him, he said, you yourselves know that from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time. 
serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews and how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life as any account as dear to myself, in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus. And what was that ministry? to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that you all among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will not see my face anymore. I therefore testify to you this day I'm free, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God Be on your guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. And from your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw draw disciples away after them. Therefore, be on the alert and remember that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And I now commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Topics we don't necessarily like to talk about today. Paul was very concerned for the well-being of the flock. And knowing that there were deceptive teachings going on even in that day, even from individuals that had made professions of faith but turned away from that profession. Paul would speak of individuals who were part of his group, who ministered with him in in places. And he says, I now tell you, weeping, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. You and I need to recognize that while it is true that God's people will never be separated from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus the Lord, that the evil one is deceptively working to try to undermine the things that God is doing and keep individuals in a situation of mass confusion as to really what matters in this significance. What has he done so effectively in this American church where Boyce tells us if anybody is really thinking about it and is willing to admit it that these are not good days for the evangelical church? Doctrine, it doesn't matter. If Christianity is anything, it's the fact that doctrine matters. Contrary to almost every other religion in the world, Biblical Christianity is built on truth. And if I don't have a foundation in that truth, then for me to say the Jesus I love, the Jesus that loves me, the Jesus I trust, 
is the Jesus of the Bible, I have no guarantee that that is true. God has inseparably linked the Jesus of salvation with his word. And you cannot have the one without the other. Paul's ministry was to solemnly testify of the gospel of the grace of God. And when Paul wanted to put those he loved in a place of well-keeping, he said, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. Today, we hear people talk about Christian zeal. We hear people talk about the great things that are taking place. But in reality, much of it is just an emotional hype, an emotional pep rally that so many places call worship in churches today. And we become unkind, even thought of as being unchristian, unchrist-like, to ever say anything. Is it relevant? Is it important? Well, if you ever watch the news, I don't know how often I listen to somebody who talks about an issue that's taking place in our social life, and they'll say, well, that's not the Jesus I follow. Well, then you're not following the Jesus that I'm following. Just because people use the terms grace, gospel, Faith, salvation, Christ doesn't mean we're talking about the same thing. And if Paul makes it very clear that individuals of whom it is questionable as to whether or not they're in the faith and they are willingly accepting another Jesus, which was not the Jesus that Paul preached to them, what is true of what they are embracing? They're embracing darkness. They're embracing deception because individuals turn their ears away from the truth and willingly want to embrace myths because they have itchy ears. They want something tantalizing. Because as Jesus himself said, that those who are of the world, they may come to him for a moment, but men love darkness rather than the light. And so if I present a Jesus who is in fully keeping with man's natural condition, then I'll willingly accept him. But if I present a Jesus that is different from what is comfortable for me in my sinful condition, then I might have some problems. So what we find is Paul said that his ministry was one that had to do with the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God. If we think about this ministry of the Apostle Paul presenting the gospel of the grace of God, we know that it was an all-consuming compassion for him. That's the ministry. That's the commission that God had given to him to preach Christ where he had not been preached before. And there's a sense in which he might be a model for us that we want to tell others about Christ. But you and I have not received the commission that Paul was given. Do you follow what I'm saying? His was a unique ministry, apostolically, given to him to lay the foundation for the church. 
and I can convey to others what Paul taught and what Paul said, what Peter taught and what Peter said. But my role in the body of Christ may not necessarily be the same as was true of Paul's role. And my role is to faithfully be what God's called me to be in the body of Christ as he uses the body of Christ as a whole to accomplish his purposes today. But what can we see in the ministry of the Apostle Paul? Notice if you go with me into 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 or chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul says, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and power, for what reason? That your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So how do we usually present Christ today? Well, with a lot of fanfare. We have to have these big rallies. We have to have music that stirs up the emotions to get everybody on board to make some kind of a decision for Christ. Is it no wonder that so many then never show any life because they're resting on the world's way of doing things rather than on the way God does it. In another section, Boyce is quoting from Oz Guinness, who wrote a very similar work. And he said, in, re- in, um, in our day, Some evangelicals have come to trust in technology rather than in the gospel and the power of God for winning the loss and achieving church growth. A Christian advertising agent who has represented Coca-Cola is also the one who developed the I Found It evangelistic campaign. And this is how he expressed what he hoped to accomplish and thought would be accomplished. He says, back in Jerusalem when the church started, God performed a miracle there on the day of Pentecost. They didn't have the benefits of buttons and media. So God had to do a little supernatural work there. But today with our technology, we have available to us the opportunity to create the same kind of interest in the secular society. What are you relying upon then? The power of man, the ingenuity of man, manipulating the masses. But Paul said, when I came to you, I had a central message. I am presenting to you Christ and him crucified. And I'm not trying to do it in some elegant form that you're going to be impressed with me, the speaker. I was with you in humility because I wanted the foundation of your faith to rest upon the power of God and not the persuasiveness and the manipulativeness of the messenger. Today, we've lost that. A church growth consultant said, if the churches would only adopt 
three simple changes. They would have the baby boomers back in the fold within a month. You know what the church needs to do? Advertise. It's not wrong to advertise. I mean, we don't want to be the hidden underground church. But to begin to think that if I advertise, and I advertise in the right way, now we're going to have people flocking to Christ. I'm relying upon the power of man rather than the power of God. Second, let people know about the product's benefits. Are you lonely? Come to Jesus. Are you depressed? Come to Jesus. Are you perplexed? Come to Jesus. No one wants to minimize that Christ deals with those issues. But do you notice what's missing in all of them? Your sin is an offense to God. Your problem is not that you need to be reformed and have a happier way of just being yourself. You are not okay the way you are. You are undone in your sin. And unless you come to Christ, you have no hope of acceptance with him. Sorry. First, you need to advertise. Second, you need to let people know about the product's benefits. And third, be nice to people. We don't understand. The gospel is what to the natural man? Foolishness. To the Jew, it's a stumbling block to talk about the one who presented himself as their Messiah was rejected by them, but God has made him the chief cornerstone. And to the Gentile world, the one who appeared to be so weak, the one who was crucified in humiliation, is the coming king of glory. Makes no sense at all. Because we're surely convinced that God helps those who help themselves. Now, if you think I'm emphasizing something that isn't true, you look at the humanistic methods that saturate the church on how it is you grow in Christ and become mature in him. We don't believe in the gospel of the grace of God. We are convinced that we have to do something to help him out. In a work, Redefining a Christian, the author says, man can always rise to a certain level of integrity and morality through human law, religion, discipline, or keeping promises. It's only when you give up on your religion, your morals, your promises, and by faith receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, as the only one who can save you, that you are declared righteous before God. Man has many ways to become moral, many in the name of Christ, but God has only one way to make men 
holy and righteous. Being moral, being ethical, being religious isn't what constitutes being a Christian. And here's Paul saying, I faithfully testified of the gospel of the grace of God. If you go with me over to chapter 3, notice Paul didn't promote himself when he did so. Verses 6 and 7, Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was the one causing the growth. So then neither is the one who plants or the one who waters anything, but God who causes the growth. The one who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, but you are God's field, God's building. Wasn't promoting himself. And as he did so, he made sure that the message was appropriate for the audience to whom it was given. Look at what he says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul said, beginning in verse 19, even though I'm free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all that I might win the more. Now, Paul is saying, you know, I didn't walk around flaunting my Christian liberty. Christian liberty wasn't given to you to make you feel good about what you can do and can't do. Christian liberty is given to you so you can be all things to all men. And instead of having stumbling blocks, which are irrelevant to the real issue, you can get them to focus on the real issue, which is Jesus Christ and salvation in him. So to the Jew, or I'm, though I'm free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all. For what reason? That I may win the more. And to the Jews, I become as a Jew, that I might win the Jews to those under the law, as under the law, although myself not under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. And to those who are without the law, as without the law, I didn't tell them, you know, you, you haven't been keeping the Ten Commandments, you Gentiles. I don't know what's wrong with you. As without law, even though myself, I'm still under the law of God, that is the law of Christ. For what reason? That I may win those who are without law. To the weak, I become weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I may by all means save some. And I do all things for the sake of what? For the sake of the gospel. It's, God, it's the recognition that Paul had that his ministry was to proclaim Christ in his generation and be faithful in doing it. And so he didn't just have a, you know, kind of packaged material. He saw where his audience was and he presented the message of Christ appropriate to that audience. So when I now read through the book that tells us how we ought to evangelize, what book is that? Thank you. Acts. Romans is not a book of evangelism, even though it can be used that way. It was written to believers. How do I want to know how the gospel was presented? I look at the book of Acts. 
And in the book of Acts, I see the ministry of Peter dealing with the Jews. And I see the ministry of Paul dealing with Jews and Gentiles. And there's some arresting facts that we can find when we look in the book of Acts and how Paul faithfully presented the gospel of the grace of God. The first thing that I noticed when I read through the book of Acts about the presentation of the gospel is never did Paul or anyone else say, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And if there is ever a being who loved in ways that you and I can only begin to experience and fathom, that would be the Lord Jesus Christ. He never said when he spoke to someone, I love you and I have a wonderful plan for your life. But that's the common way we present it today. That's the common way in which evangelists will begin by, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. God never said that to Judas. God certainly didn't say it to Pharaoh. He said, I have a different reason for why I've raised you up. Grace means it's something no one deserves. Grace means you and I have a big problem and we can't get out of it on our own. And the problem is not our emotional hang-ups and social foibles. Our problems in our sin has alienated us from God. And it's only Jesus Christ who can deal with our sin. It's only Jesus Christ who can make us acceptable to God. I also find that when I read through the book of of Acts, there is never stated, well, you know, if you want to be a Christian, you need to pray the sinner's prayer. I read through the book of Acts, and I never find them saying, if you want to be a Christian, you need to ask Jesus into your heart. We have so many catchphrases which to me in reality have confused the issue. When the Philippian jailer came to Paul and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Do you know what Paul answered? Believe, trust the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. In fact, he didn't sit there and say, well, you know, you need to make Christ Lord in your life. He didn't say, well, you know, you have to make him your savior. You don't make him anything. I am trusting a person, and that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. That person is the promised Messiah. He is the Christ. That person is the one who has been given the name that is above every name. That is that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That person is none other than God who became a man, was born under Mary. He is the Jesus of Nazareth. And if you are trusting another Jesus besides the one that God raised from the dead, you're still dead in your sin. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can deliver you from your sin. No wonder when Paul wrote to the Romans, he says, I'm looking forward to coming to you because I want to have fruit in Rome just as like I've had elsewhere. And I'm eager to preach to you the gospel. And you know why Paul said that? Romans chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God. It is the dunamis, the dynamic. It's what God uses to liberate people from sin. So Paul didn't say, I'm going to find some fancy way to try to persuade people to manipulate them emotionally. I am going to preach the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. Today we think, well, we got to explain everything to people. Maybe they don't really know what it means to believe. Maybe they're not really sure about this or that. Well, I want to tell you, then you're ashamed of the gospel. And you think your intellectual abilities can do something better than what the gospel can do. What people need to hear is Christ and him crucified. And that God raised him from the dead so that everyone who puts their confident faith and trust in him will never perish for their sin. Will never experience the wrath of God. Because the wrath of God fell upon the one who knew no sin that those who trust him are made the righteousness of God in him. That's the message of the gospel of the grace of God. That's the message that was preached by the apostle Paul. And that is the message that Paul was concerned would get perverted, diluted, and changed by the evil one as savage wolves would come in. And even from a leadership position, individuals would distort the truth to draw disciples after themselves. You and I are in that inevitable age and where we don't see the clear presentations of the truth. When Paul presented the gospel, he didn't say, you know, we need to Christianize Rome. We need to change the culture and the society. We need to institute moral regulations that the majority can bring to the rest of the populace. How subtle the evil one has diverted the church from its real calling. Boyce stated the following. Consider the evangelical rhetoric. Evangelicals speak of taking back America, fighting for the country's soul, reclaiming the United States for Christ. How? By electing Christian presidents, congressmen, senators, lobbying for conservative judges, taking over power structures, and imposing Christian standards of morality on the rest of the nation is law. But we really ought to ask, was America ever really a Christian nation? Is any nation ever really Christian? Does law produce morality? What about the Augustan doctrine of two cities, the city of man and the city of God, which meant so much to the reformers? In other words, if you're familiar with Pilgrim's Progress, the city of destruction versus the eternal heavenly city. Will the country ever become anything other than man's city? And what about America's soul? 
Is there really an American soul to redeem and fight over? Paul didn't try to make Rome Christian. What he tried to do is to bring the gospel of Christ to people who were part of Rome. And those individuals became instruments in the hands of God, some who had political positions, some of which had teaching positions, some of which would have been doctors and other officials, and some were like the majority of us, the common folks, the grassroots, who lived out our Christian faith, seeking to do good to all men, and especially those of the household of faith. Social reform is great. And America owes much to social reform that has been done by Christians in the past. But social reform is not the job of the church. It is not the gospel message. It is the fruit of it. And I trust... We're going to have to stop there. This will have a part two. I trust that you're able to sing that great children's song that has profound significance for any child of God. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And the Jesus that I trust and I love is the Jesus who is written in the scriptures, who died on behalf of others, whose name is the only name given among men whereby we must be saved. Because if I am someone that is trusting in a Jesus other than the one that the Bible tells me about, I am an individual to be greatly pitied because my hope and my confidence is in a delusion other than in the only God who can save. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your truth and how I pray, O Lord, that you would cause us to grow in our understanding of your truth to faithfully proclaim your truth for the well-being of others. And Father, to know that our faith has found a resting place not in device or creed, but our faith is resting in the ever-living one who died and who for me now pleads. Thank you, O Lord for our wonderful Savior, even Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray.